Welcome to the season two finale. Stay tuned after to find out what comes next. Anger, October 2010, Concord, California, two years and seven months until my mother's death, age 27. Spittle flew out of my mouth. You are fucking insane. In a fit of rage, I yelled at my mother. The only anger I'd been shown as a child was an attack towards another, explosive, scary and violent. I didn't know of another way to express it. I was in my second trimester with Autumn. My mother was in the master that was acting as our guest room at the time. She was propped up in bed. It was one of the three areas she rotated throughout the day. Bed, breakfast bar, recliner on the outside patio. The fight was inconsequential, only I'd never, ever cussed at my mother before. It wasn't pregnancy hormones or that she was dying. It was that after I yelled at her, she wore this half-smile on her face. Her lips were slightly ajar. Her tongue made small waves on the inside of her mouth, as she had a slight tongue tie that had never been resolved properly. She said nothing in return. Her look was enough. It was insane, and I heard everything she was thinking. Wow, poor Jazzy, she's really lost it. With no awareness of her effect on me, no responsibility that she was one half of the whole picture, or that her words could be inflammatory, or her requests outrageous, or the sacrifice enormous, the sacrifices the family made for her and at what cost, and her disease. By then it had taken over, not just her body, but everyone it touched. I couldn't imagine what it was like, after one long week of a dull headache, if pleaded for mercy, but she, she woke up every day knowing that the next 12 hours before bed would be a battle, and the next, and the next, until it was over. I ran out of the house and locked myself in the car. I sat in the car's driver's seat while being the passenger in my own life, trapped, unable to create a different reality. Banging on the steering wheel over and over, I couldn't stand the inactivity of sitting still and drove a block over. I called Tom at work, his office building only a five-minute walk from our house. Jazzy, what's wrong? He picked up on the first ring, worry in his voice. I was in hysterical tears. Jazz, he soothed. Breathe. You gotta breathe. It's not good for the baby. It gulped for air. I can't. I can't anymore with mom. What happened? I don't even know. I I yelled at her and do you have time now? Can you talk to her? Tom came home during his lunch break to mediate between my mother and I. He understood the consuming aura of my mother's presence, but still... It proved impossible for me to explain to her that it wasn't the one thing, but the final thing. Not just that day, but the accumulation of years filled with misunderstanding where I didn't speak up and say, no, no more, enough. She had turned into this woman who had always had all the answers. And if she didn't, she'd find them. This woman who was a fierce protector, who had enough lionheartedness for the entire pride. This woman who was limitless to me had become someone, someone I used to know. My mother was the most exuberant person. Her laugh, her sneeze, her burp could take up the whole room, but my own self-expression seemed to scare her. The depth of my sorrow unknown because she never allowed herself to experience her own. 
By naming my emotions under the umbrella of hysteria, she was effectively telling me I wasn't safe, even within myself. For the first few years after her death, I was afraid if I started crying and my mother wasn't there, I may never stop. But over time, I learned that the fear of strong emotion was hers, what she experienced in her own home growing up, mixed with society's associations with anger and deeming it an out-of-control reaction. But it wasn't mine. On an energetic level, depression is said to be anger turned inward. We allow the anger to come up, or we stuff it down. But suppression doesn't make it go away. It sits there, waiting to be recognized, festering into disease in the body, until an opportunity arises for it to surface and the valve pops. But the energy that comes out isn't the same. It actually holds a different name. It's aged, morphed. It's unbridled, unexamined, uncontrollable rage. And rage? Rage actually is scary. Rage looks like throwing objects across the floor, breaking things that should stay whole, screaming nasty words, rushing towards another with hands or body. To a child experiencing a parent's rage, it feels like certain death. And so I take care. I treat anger as body hygiene. It's not a daily exercise or even weekly. But when it asks for my attention, I listen. The first time. You might find me on the floor of our upstairs bathroom crying, snot smeared until my lungs burned for air. There's no glass of rescue remedy. No one telling me to hurry up, calm down. Or further back into the laundry room, I'll find a towel out of the dirty load and stuff my mouth and scream. Guttural sounds until I'm emptied. Or in my workout, throwing air punches at the mirror, I'll run in place. Stomp my feet to loud music until there's no division between me and the hard beat. I acknowledge anger's presence and purpose. I honor it, not by allowing it to consume me, but by showing it a safe passage through me. And then, like magic, on the other side, I find myself grounded and rebalanced so that when my girls start spiraling and they need to express it, or they need a safe place and person to hold space for their discharge, I can be the adult so they can be the child. We have a joke in our house from a children's book I read to them when they were little, when everyone plus our dog Honey is piled in my arms. Come, my children. There's always room on Mama's lap. It's true, though. Even for little Jazzy, there's room. When I think of the flow of energy, I picture da Vinci's drawing of the Vitruvian man, not so much for its symmetrical proportions of the human body, but because of its movement, the way it mimics earth spinning on its axis. The concept that our physical bodies are only a mirror of the circular energy that they house. That in harmony, our life energy loops in concentric circles, and because of this, our worldly experiences do too. Even though I didn't have the language until recently, for me instinctually, there's never been a division between the emotional and physical body. I knew changing the shape of my body brought temporary relief past the aesthetic but not the why. I see now, through not just repetitive exercise, but specifically movement that activated all my bodies, I was effectively breaking apart the muscular armor I'd spent a lifetime building and then strengthening on continuous trauma loops. But the fractures in my shell couldn't open further or maintain any sort of permanent tissue shift without the next layer. I needed to do the inner work, the soul-led healing on a cellular level alongside the physical work or my physique would remain one-dimensional, 
while my relationships, my lens of reality would be stuck in a state of constant tension and pain. What remains? My mind provided connection and my body became the container through which it expressed itself. They both required tending, their own time to grow. They needed each other, but neither could fix the other. Purpose with writing could be a passage back to health, but it wasn't the physical act, the muscle work of it. The body could cleanse and restore and allow emotional knots to entangle and then dissolve, but it couldn't be the composer of sentences, the creator of story. Through my excavation, I discovered I'd both disconnected from my voice and given my power away to stay safe, that my worth was tied to my ability to please and that I sought permission from outside myself so I wouldn't be wrong. I equated failing in my endeavors to failure as a person. I held an overall refusal to receive by connecting it with pain. I'd showed up as martyr again and again and was surprised when I burned that I constantly expected something out of an experience, person, thing, that it wasn't meant to give. And when that happened, I'd be invariably disappointed with the results. I named my shame with claiming myself as a writer. I removed blocks to my natural expression, but still, I craved more. I desired a reason behind the timing of my life, proof of my unique path, to honor the quiet knowing that I was part of something bigger than me, I held so many pieces, but I was missing a vital one, understanding and then owning my soul path and my connection to spirit. The third layer that bound the other two gave me the why. It provided and then allowed me to witness the magic in our world. If I were to write the story that was being asked of me, for me, I needed to descend further and remove the veil I'd worn since childhood to protect myself. It wasn't so much that it was a requirement. I could still choose, but it was a commitment I wanted, a relationship I desired. I was finally willing and ready to receive my sight, to see if the answers were there all along, waiting for me to discover them. I don't have a written summary like I provided at the end of season one. Every time I'm like, I'm just going to go off the cuff. And then it ends up being so much harder than it appears. But we're going to try it. We're going to try it this time. So I started the first draft of this memoir back in August 2021. And it's gone through many revisions and iterations, although it's really maintained the original structure and the overall theme. But the body part I rewrote last fall in preparation for getting it edited. And then I worked on the edits at the beginning of this year in January, and I started recording. And I didn't necessarily feel inauthentic with the story that I was presenting, but I still knew that in my real life, my personal life, I was still really struggling with a lot of the, um, with a lot of the body things I discuss and the concept of it and my relationship with 
diet and exercise and my emotional, um, physical body and how they mirror each other. And I was like, I'm definitely not an authority on this yet. Like I haven't figured it out and I don't know if I'm ever going to figure it out. Um, like I might spend the rest of my life trying to come to understanding of, of like what that means for me and how it presents. But the interesting part of this process and this, and this memoir experience and deciding to make it like a serial, a serial podcast and is that, and not having it like, you know, whatever bound in a book and that's it is that, um, it has become its own thing. It's like a living, breathing being and I'm growing alongside it and it's teaching me and I'm teaching it and it's become this really um, beautiful like giving and receiving and obviously a lot of growth opportunities that then I can weave back into the story and two months later um, I would say I had I had like a pretty big shift with my understanding of the body in um, February, like the middle of February. And in the last two months, um, by the and by the time I finished this section, I do feel in alignment. I feel like I have so much more understanding. I feel like I'm in a really good spot with my, um, my exercise and my diet and like what I'm working towards and why I'm doing it and how I feel. And, um, and a lot of that had to tie in with the soul work, the spiritual work. And I'm really exciting, excited to hopefully dive into that in, in my last section in part three in the soul and, tie it in all together about how, you know, the mind, body, soul connection and that we need all of them to become this whole person. And even though I was weaving in and out, um, throughout even the last, for the whole last decade, I'd say, um, between the three bodies, there was something that, that shifted that allowed me to, um, really integrate. And so, it's been really, um, really gratifying. And I do feel like I have more authority, at least over my own story. And it's given me back so much, um, this, this process. I'm hoping to continue the, the sort of, um, structure, which was like, take another two months to, revise the last section and then um and then start recording but um some new developments have come up I mentioned it a couple episodes ago but I got this um this this download um at the beginning of the year about this movement called motherment and um motherment is a mind body soul a three-month container embodiment container where I'm going to be teaching seasoned stay-at-home mothers 
how to mother themselves and in doing so connect them back to self. And um, I've, I'm in the creation phase right now and I'm in the website phase right now and I've been reading business books and I've been gathering, um, gathering materials and um, I'm hoping to launch that program in June. And so I'm not sure where this last part three soul is going to come into play. I don't know what I'll have time for and what I'll have space for, what I'll have the bandwidth for, but I am a hundred percent going to finish this story. And, um, I will like, hopefully continue on track if, you know, if it takes a little bit longer and we move into the fall, I'm not sure. I don't know what it's going to look like. So standing in that unknown, that unknown space and, um, allowing things to unfold. So if you know any mother, stay at home mother that would be, that would benefit from this course, um, please share, please send them over to mothermentmovement.com. It will have all the information about the course and, um, an email where they can contact form and an email, um, mothermentmovement at gmail.com where they can reach out and schedule like a 15 minute chat with me, like a free chat to see if motherment might be a good fit for them. So I'm really excited to see what this next chapter holds. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for coming along on this journey with me. Jasmine Rasmussen, author and narrator of Saved, a memoir on purpose. Join me weekly for an oral telling of my novel, written in verse and prose, broken into short, digestible episodes. I'll guide you through my journey back to self. Click the link below to subscribe or go to jasmineleahrasmussen.substack.com to find out more.